Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Takeout ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. You know, I say that all the time. I've been saying it since our show launched nearly eight years ago. Why do I say that? Because it's just great to be with you. However you find the show, so many different platforms, you know what it is. It's an extensive deep dive conversation about politics, policy, a little bit of pop culture. Well, we're going to get politics, policy, history, and the law this week. I want to introduce Michael Kirk as our special guest. He is the director of and the force creative behind... A new frontline documentary called Democracy on Trial. It would it will premiere on PBS nationwide January 30th. Michael, it's great to see you. Thank you, Major. You too. And uh, for those who are thinking to themselves, Michael Kirk, frontline, he's got to be some sort of East Coast establishmentarian. We'll slow your roll. Born in Denver, raised in Boise, Idaho. He's part of the University of Idaho Alumni Hall of Fame. So slow your roll on that whole Eastern establishment stuff. Also, Michael is a substantial force in the field of documentary filmmaking. Uh, Peabody's, Emmys, Polk Awards, DuPonts, and all the rest. Democracy on Trial. Michael, I think I know what it's about. I do know what it's about. I've watched it. Remind my audience, Democracy on Trial, what is the essence of this documentary? What actually happened on January 6th and in the months right before from the night of the election uh, when Donald Trump said, frankly, we did win uh, from that moment until uh, January 6th. What happened? It's been long enough that, uh, according to surveys and polls that we've read, and, and I know you've read, Major, the the uh, a, a very large number of people who answer the polls anyway and talk about it, a very large number of people uh, think, January 6th might have been overblown. Certainly the MAGA people believe that it mm-hmm. might even have been a conspiracy by the FBI. 
Some Democrats even believe that. Um, it's certainly true that uh, you know, what we thought was necessary as the sort of first thing that happens uh, at the beginning of this most crucial uh, presidential election year and election year across the board was an examination of this issue. What happened? How much of it was Trump's responsibility? Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, really, what happened? from the people who were there and the people who worked for him and the people who liked him. I don't think there's anybody talking in this film except one woman from Georgia who's not a Republican and a conservative right. Republican. Right. There's, a, there's a handful of reporters and, and writers, but the vast majority of people talking about the substance of the story are conservative Republicans who supported Donald Trump. And so we wanted, that was the other criteria was let's get Trump people in here. Let's hear what's going on. Let's get some lawyers in. Let's mm -hmm. come to an understanding of not only what happened, but what is his legal liability to the extent that we can assess it from outside the, the process. And a word to my audience. I told you after January 6th, this program would never forget, sanitize, or try to forget about or bury January 6th. This show would always remember January 6th because how we remember it in this country and what we conclude from it will have a very great deal to do with the future of this country. I am convinced of that. And Michael just made a couple of references to things that I think are important and worth digesting. Very early in the documentary, Michael, it is made clear that for the select committee on January 6th on the House side, there was an imperative. An imperative was to tell a story and tell it in a television or cinematic way. Michael, I don't need to tell you, but as I've traveled the country, that's one of the central complaints MAGA Republicans have about the whole process. They describe it as just episodic television. It right. was just a TV show. And they dismiss it as a TV show. And right off the bat, this frontline documentary admits it was in part a TV show. Address that disconnect, if you will. Say, uh, it's a it's a it's a problem. I think I'm I'm old enough to have watched the Watergate hearings. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the, the you and me both. Yeah, and uh, and and the way that the nation kind of sat down and just watched something and watched it happen, and it was what did the presidents know and when did he know it? Remember those that question yep. from Howard Baker. Howard Baker. Well, that that sort of is what I think was that was a big event. It was a big TV show, too. It was on all the time through the summer. And uh, the same the same kind of moment happened around the Clarence Thomas mm -hmm. uh, Anita Hill hearings. But I think by the time we got to now, a couple of years ago, it, it, uh, congressional hearings, whether they were, uh, you know, about Benghazi or whatever they were, they became just these kind of food fight, food fest. Yes, there were bipartisan, but whatever bipartisan means, it means equally screaming on both sides of the <laughs> on the on the, yeah. uh, the aisle. So I think they they found themselves. This is what the, the story of the committee tells us. They found themselves saying, "Well, we've got all this stuff, years of stuff, millions of documents, thousands of depositions, whatever it all was." They sat there and they said, "Wait, how do what what difference is any of this going to make if people don't see it?" So they made that fateful decision. It's a decision that I think the president, the former president, also has made, which is let's fight it out in public. Let's fight it out with on television and on on the internet. And, and uh, let's do things that can capture people whose attention spans are not set up for lo long hearings with 
seven minute speeches by the Republican, then seven minute speeches by the Democrat. Let's get on with it. Let's get right. down to it and let's make it interesting. Uh, they may have had their own reasons, which is it is also darn good television. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they decided to create that. There's one person in the in the film talks about the fact that Benny Thompson, the chairman, wanted things to pop yeah. on the TV show. Pop. Well, what does that mean, right? Well, pop in the in the sense of this turns out to be Bill Barr, the Attorney General, the much hated and maligned Attorney General, maligned and hated by the left. Uh, that 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 man first right out of the right out of the shoot, they they pull him up and he talks about uh, about telling the President of the United States what his allegations were were bull. And uh, man, that's one way to start. Bill Barr, right at the beginning, away you go. Uh, so it, it, yes, it was a television show, it was television entertainment, and thank God for them in some ways because we could use it uh, for our purposes mm-hmm. uh, to tell this story as well. Use pieces of it anyway to tell the story. And from your vantage point, long experience in this world, there's nothing wrong with that notion that you have to take the evidence you have and make it memorable and make it meaningful in this medium. Yeah, I make television programs myself. <laughs> you know, I try to make them serious and fair and honest and accurate, uh, chasing the truth all the time, like so many of our brothers and sisters are in the, in the business. Um, so I, it, it, it's hard for me not to defend the idea that it was a TV show if they were doing things that really were. TV stuff, mm-hmm. like entertainment television. That's right. a whole different story. But uh, right. but I think they tried to hew pretty closely to the facts as they saw them. And, and we something... our job is to keep them, keep them honest, too. So. Exactly. And there's something else. We've got about a minute and 20 before we need to go to break that I want to address. It's also early in the documentary, Democracy on Trial. People forget this. There was a bipartisan attempt. It passed the House, died in the Senate to create a bipartisan commission, equal subpoena power, equal budget that would have provided a report before the election year. People gloss over that like, oh, well, this select committee was just a partisan power grab to make Republicans look bad and the former president look bad. Look, there was an alternative that was blocked by Senate Republicans. Yeah. Uh, Leader McConnell uh, and, uh, you know, who's. We, we made a film about him, coincidentally, this year. And one of the things that became obvious about about Leader McConnell is, is his he does, he can't he feels he can't lead from the rear. He's got to lead his troops and he's got to take them where they kind of want to go. And it he said he said it 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 became obvious that they didn't want to go where obviously Nancy Pelosi wanted to go and others wanted to go. They didn't even want to try to fight for the balance. They just wanted to wanted it to go away. And uh, and uh, and if it wouldn't go away, denounce it as partisan. If it resurrected itself, as it inevitably did with the House Committee on yeah. January sixth, the yeah. Frontline documentary "Democracy on Trial" airs across PBS on January thirty. Michael Kirk is our special guest. Back for segment two in just one moment. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy. You'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. 
This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to The Takeout. Michael Kirk is our special guest. He is the director and creative force behind Democracy on Trial, frontline documentary airing across all PBS channels on January 30th. Uh, Michael, you mentioned this in segment one, but I want to drill down a bit on it because I think it's really, really important. Many of the people who testified to the January 6th committee and appear separately in different interviews with you and your producers are not just Republicans. Many of them are Trump Republicans, but for one thing. And the one thing was denying reality, breaking the law, breaking their oath, trampling the Constitution. I think it's pretty clear that um, the people who uh, we interviewed and who are sort of the central memorable figures, Rusty Bowers from Arizona, uh, Shay Moss and her, uh, and her mother, Ruby uh, Raffsenberger, Secretary Raffsenberger from Georgia, these people all, all are public officials and all supported Donald Trump. In, in his run for the presidency, and even in some cases worked for Donald Trump, except for Shea and uh, and Ruby uh, Moss. Uh, they were poll workers. Uh, but but they all, so they were all supportive of, of uh, former President Trump, but they also all swore an oath. And it was in some ways fascinating to me that that's what they would fall back on. It's my oath versus what the president, my, my president wants me to do. And, and and their calculation was that what he wanted them to do was would make them uh, abrogate their oath, not not follow it, and uh, and they stood up to it. And they have paid the price, by the way, parenthetically, dramatically. But there they were, and that's really the subtext: the American public officials, Republican officials, conservative Republican officials, who, when push came to shove, you know, uh, stood there and said, no, I, I can't do this. I have to I have to honor my oath. And when it comes to an evaluation, which is part of the title of the film of democracy and the state of democracy, in some ways, Major, it's kind of comforting to know that there are officials mm-hmm. who one might not think would do this, but who stayed, who stayed the course with the Constitution of the United States. And it's a very hopeful sign, I think, in terms of the health of our democracy. Another person on that roster would be former Vice President Mike Pence. Did you ask to sit down with him? Yes, of course. Yeah. And they declined. Well, it's funny why people decline. And it's funny how they decline. But (laughs) I'm not going to say anything more than that, other than that you you learn what they think and believe, but they just don't want to say it out loud, especially at the time, which was about a month and a half ago when we were shooting a lot of the interviews and he was still uh, what he considered a viable presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
you know what they say. It's reflected in in thing. His 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 attorney uh, answered the subpoena and speaks uh, and uh, and and in almost every case of the people who said they didn't want to talk, they did talk in one form or another. You talked about your optimism a moment ago, and I think it's well founded and well regarded. But there's a part of me, Michael, that's also not optimistic, that's decidedly pessimistic because Trump has embraced the big lie not only once, but repetitively. A sizable portion of the Republican Party that is Trumpist believes it. Even with the televised hearings, even with Jenna Ellis pleading guilty in Georgia, with Sidney Powell pleading guilty in Georgia, Kenneth Chesborough pleading guilty, Peter Navarro has been sentenced to four months in prison for defying a January 6th Select Committee subpoena. Wisconsin officials have signed a statement saying they were wrong to propagate themselves as phony electors, and the election was legitimately won by Joe Biden. Michigan did an entire Republican legislative inquiry into this, found no evidence of numerically significant fraud. Everywhere this is tested, it fails, and it fails spectacularly. And yet, Michael, it persists. That's the part of this story that leaves me pessimistic. And and appropriately so, Major. Uh, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump in that election, or some number like that. 74. Ten, yeah, tens of millions of of Americans voted for it. And tens of millions of Americans believe what he says and don't really seem to want to examine the facts of it or what actually happened. Uh, I would love it if if everybody in America could sit down and watch the film and say, well, I, I okay, I get it. All right, I get it. I get it. I get it on both sides. I understand the arguments that he's making about, you know, First Amendment and all, all of the rest of it. And 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 if after watching the film, you know, people uh, had a different opinion, well, that's fair enough. But I, I think part of the problem is people are have not have not gone back and reexamined uh, uh, as we have, and and don't seem open to that. I wish they did. I think we're really talking about seven to eleven percent of the electorate who are the sort of independent, non-mega, non-already committed voters. However, many tens of millions of those. People there, there might be. Uh, in some ways, this is a film designed for the people who are on the fence or want to be reminded or uh, maybe need some confirmation. But, but I wish, I wish, the other side, whatever that other side is, the MAGA Trump followers, uh, could watch it too with a kind of open mind. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but it, but it isn't. Doesn't seem likely. And Michael, you mentioned, and I know from all of your previous work, you do strive for not only accuracy, but a sense of balance and fairness. But there is no other side of this story. In essence, there is no other side, meaning, well, what's the side that proved that it was stolen? There is no other side. And don't believe me. I did write a book about it, so (laughs) I know something about this. But go to the court records. Go to the places where evidence has never been presented Trump will point to some report or something, but it never gets tested in court, never gets tested on an evidentiary basis. That's a challenge for you in this realm, correct? 
Well, and and we wouldn't have been able to do it if we didn't have lots of extremely capable and knowledgeable people. These are not these are not just people we found in a bus stop and, and get a, a quick interview with them. Um, these are prestigious attorneys on both sides. These are people who really think about the law and the power of the law and the importance of what it means to have uh, to have such a such a a thing hanging over a presidential candidate and over a presidential race. Uh, uh, here it is. This is maybe the most important piece of inf- pieces of information you need in order to make an informed judgment about the next president of the United States. There may be nothing more important, and it is available. That's the important thing to me. It is available. You can see it in this film. You can make the argument for yourself. You can maybe challenge your own easy beliefs. We tried to put enough of the other side in, in terms of constitutional law, not mm-hmm. Trump's, Trump's actions, but how hard it is to make this case in a courtroom in Washington, D.C., starting potentially March 4th. It is hard. It's one thing to have a committee do it, but the rules of evidence, the rules of everything that face Jack Smith mm-hmm. and uh, and face Trump's attorneys are profound and, and challenging. Uh, and and this primer that we've made that helps you watch that trial and listen to that trial uh, should also indicate to you how hard it is to come to an easy decision that it's just going to be a pushover. You're going to get in the trial and he's going to get he's going to get her, uh, sent to prison. I'm not sure about that. And uh, we wanted to introduce that level of doubt in terms of the law, in terms of his actions on any individual thing. The most important thing to remember, it isn't one thing he does. It isn't one thing he says. It, this has stunned me when we were making the film. It mm-hmm. isn't that he asked Mike Pence to throw over the election. It is that uh, uh, it isn't illegal for him to do that, but it is that combined to all the other things, all the stuff with Rudy Giuliani, all the stuff of pressure on the Department of Justice, all the stuff on the pressure to Rusty Bowers in Arizona and Raffsenberger in Georgia. Uh, it is the combination of all of that that may equal a conspiracy to commit a crime, a federal crime. And that's a big deal. And I think we try to explain that as clearly as we can in the movie so people will understand uh, 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 what to watch for and what to think about when they decide whether Donald Trump should be uh, found guilty for this matter. You do that very well. The documentary Democracy on Trial airs across PBS stations January 30th. Michael Kirk is the director, creative force behind it. Segment three of The Takeout in just one second. Welcome back to The Takeout. Michael Kirk is our special guest, the director and creative force behind Democracy on Trial, frontline documentary airing January 30th across PBS stations. Picking up on what we were just talking about, Michael, because I think it's really important. I was just in Iowa and New Hampshire for the Iowa caucuses in New Hampshire primary. Mm-hmm. Talked to Republicans in both states, elected officials and regular voters. And when I brought up January 6th, they started all by saying the same thing. It was very interesting to me. Well, you know, I'm really in favor of the First Amendment. And I sat back and I said, oh, 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 okay, uh, I'm a reporter. I'm protected by the First Amendment. My entire career is built around the First Amendment. I'm in favor of the First Amendment, too. And I'm like, do you regard January 6th as a, as a First Amendment event? And they said, basically, yes. And I said, well, what about the violence? Well, I'm not in favor of the violence. Those people should be prosecuted. But, you know, speaking out against an election, there's nothing wrong with that. 
And I said, okay, well, what if that's foundationally false? Well, you still have a right to do that. Picking up on where we left off in segment two, that is going to be one of the hurdles Jack Smith's going to have to cross. What is this line between advocacy, free speech, which, of course, is in the presidency. Hello, it's the bully pulpit for a reason. That's going to be an issue. Intent. It's all about his intent. Yes. What was his intent? Why was he doing it? Was he just, you know, we we show in the film a history that Donald Trump has of never losing, always claiming the other side cheated, the election was rigged, whether it was the Emmy Awards for The Apprentice or the lack of uh, Emmy Award for The Apprentice to whether Ted Cruz won in Iowa in 16 and 15. Right, whether Mitt Romney lost in 2012. Exactly. He has all of his life. You could probably go back to when he was in military academy and, <laughs> and he didn't get to be drum major or whatever it was and he claimed it. This is a pattern of Donald Trump. It's it's what he does. It's the way he acts. Now, if you're a Republican, if you're a MAGA Republican, you say, well, this is my guy. This is just the way he is. Full of bombast, full of BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, it doesn't really matter. Right. Well, the only time, uh, apparently, it really mattered was when, uh, according to the committee and according to uh, the prosecutors, the only time it really does matter when free speech is being uh, misused, fire in a theater, calling crying fire in a theater, a misuse of your freedom of speech, it causes all kinds of trouble, especially when there isn't one. In this case, when you you can complain about the, the rigged election because it's a life pattern. But when it yields thousands of people attacking the Capitol building and uh, Capitol police and people are dying and people are being beaten up and there's a lot of violence going on and uh, and all of it, uh, uh, is the, the question for the court will be, is the speech, is the free speech, mm-hmm. uh, did it cause them to go up to the building and, and commit crimes? Was it in essence... An attack by the executive branch on the legislative branch. I've said on this program, I said days after January 6th, that that's precisely what it was, that it was the executive branch attacking the legislative branch over the peaceful transfer of power. And that strikes me as the essence of Jack Smith's prosecution. That's it. And that's what he has to prove. And he has to prove it not by any individual thing, although he's going to stack them all up just like we do. Each little bit. And, and, and we try to be very careful and say to the audience, this little bit all by itself may actually be protected speech by the president. He can say he can say things He's in a, in a political environment, on an ad, on meet the press, on mm-hmm. on whatever it is. He can he can say things that are untrue. He does. He has, I mean, a well-documented what the Washington Post fact check do 33,000 lies <laughs> during his presidency. So the guy lies. All right. But it and maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, I think it does, but maybe it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that the truth becomes so malleable in his hands. But but what really matters is if you stack them all up and it looks like a pattern of behavior that yields and that's called a conspiracy that yields criminal action. And that's what the jury in Washington, D.C. will be deciding. Michael, it is a kind of a shorthanded assumption here in D.C., and those are always fraught with peril, the shorthanded assumptions that become conventional wisdom, but that it was the January 6th Select Committee that laid the foundation for the Justice Department to sort of 
get off its ass is the short shorthand. Do you have a judgment or conclusion about that, having done all of this extensive work? Well, when we started out to make the film, I thought, you know, this is going to be a really hard one because here's the problem. Uh, Jack Smith's not going to talk to you. None of the right. Avengers who work for him are going to talk to us. Uh, the judge is not going to talk to us. No potential juror is going to talk to us. Most of the witnesses can't talk to us. Their lawyers won't let them. So how do you make a film about this, much less a two-and-a-half-hour-long film? So then it became clear to me, as we talked around and looked around and, and remembered the January 6th committee hearings that aired during the summer and were quite the quiet, especially at the beginning of, of the thing as a, as a sort of mini-series, like a Netflix mini-series called Government in Peril or whatever you wanted to call it. Uh, there it was right before your eyes. So then it became how useful was what happened? What happened to that information, that big book that they uh, yielded? What, what happened to all of that? And to our surprise, as we called uh, investigators from that committee, they said, oh, thank God, somebody's calling. You know, we thought this had just landed flat as a pan, even though we'd had the TV shows and 19 million people had watched them and more than a Sunday night or a Monday night football game crowds, got kind of audience numbers. And they thought, well, this has just died. But what actually happened was, as you say, it, it, it woke up some people in the Justice Department who obviously didn't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole, but here it was. The appearance of illegality and the appearance of, of conspiracy and how could they not go forward and especially when the outline existed and i was shocked at the extent to which the 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 report as written looks a lot looks a tremendous amount like the main points of jack smith's indictments so when he announced his indictments and we were interviewing the committee investigators and they were they were thrilled. They were just overjoyed. All their work and all their beliefs were suddenly part of, of an actionable uh, federal indictment. And, and, and so I think we came to the conclusion that it, while it wasn't going to determine the guilt or innocence of Donald Trump in a trial, it certainly lays out what the case that Jack Smith will make for mm -hmm. the American people to watch and come to an understanding of what it's all about. I want to let the audience know that Michael is also the creative force behind an award-winning documentary called Divided States of America. And you learned a lot about the divisions in our country, Michael, in that process. And you know, as well as I do, that what we just discussed, the House Select Committee, the report, the Justice Department, the through line there, in that divided part of America that is pro-Trump, they look at that through line and say, see, see, it's all just a big setup. It's not about accountability. It's not about law. It's about a political agenda that was a TV show first, kind of a hit. Then the Justice Department said, oh, well, it was a hit. If it had, been, if it had not been a hit, maybe we wouldn't have done anything, but it was a hit. So we're going to do something. And they look at that through line and say, well, that's proof that this is illegitimate. Well, if you're, if you're me and you've worked in this particular business for a long, long time and you made lots of films right you, you know that the way that you stay alive in journalism long term is by I'm not, I'm not at all interested in balance or equivalence i'm very but i'm very interested in fairness and i'm extremely determined in any film we make in any story we do to try to get a, a perspective from the so-called other side or at least treat the material in a way that isn't just obviously this and isn't hammering people with with whatever the progressives want it to be. 
Right. Uh, so I, I'm I'm not a progressive, nor am I a conservative ideologue, nor am I an ideologue. I hope in any other way, but I I really like the argument of ideas, uh, and I and so I look. We look very hard for anybody who would defend it. It is very very hard nowadays to get anybody on the Trump side to comment other than in the most obvious what about isms uh in the allegation that it's a that a tucker carlson kind of it's a it's a tv show this is north korea now you know where everything gets aired simultaneously that's anti-trump yeah. uh, michael a, i need to jump to a break hold that yeah. thought i made you garrett michael kirk is our very special guest segment for the takeout in just a second Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast. I'm here with my producer, Becca. Becca, what can people expect on the podcast? The extended moments, for sure. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. I use the internet. Welcome back to The Takeout. Michael Kirk is our special guest, the director of creative force behind Democracy on Trial, airing January 30th across all PBS stations. Michael, you said something that I really want to hold close for a second. Just a moment ago, you said, I'm not interested in balance or equivalence, but I am interested in fairness. For my audience's benefit, please describe from your philosophical point of view the difference. You, you, you know without a thumb on the scale uh, in, in either print or television journalism or, or broadcast journalism, whatever it's called nowadays. Right. <laughs> streaming television, whatever it is. You, you know when you watch it, if if ideas are being given prominence over kind of BS actions, you know what I mean, and lots mm -hmm. of lots of noise. Um, so as hard as it is to think about, imagine what is the other side of the Trump uh, response to what the film is and what the committee did and what people allege and what Biden will say about him. What is the response? The response is not substantive. But the burden is on me to discover the substance that's inherent in the argument if it was in a courtroom or if there was a place where you could go where all all uh, bias and uh, partisanship were left at the door, like when you leave your phone at the door and you got to go into a private chamber and talk. Under those circumstances, what would the argument be? And I felt we had to reflect it. We had to have we have to have it in this film and all the films. It may not be a popular position always, especially in Trump. It's hard to find it. He won't give it to you. He when you say, uh, uh, "Mr. President, what do you say about that?" He he attacks in all the other ways, calls people names, mm -hmm. diminishes them, uh, whatever. But there are people in the country who think there are important. Robert Ray is one of them uh, uh, who think. What the arguments are in this case really matter uh, in the future when it might be a Democratic president that people are after. Uh, and I think that's right. When I talk about fairness, that's what I mean, that there's an idea alive inside a really complicated and emotional topic like this. 
with really emotional uh, actions being taken by the former president. So you've got to reflect it and you've got to show him being him and you've got to show the other side, but you've also got to try to in some way say, is the argument about Trump, about what you do to a former president, is the argument that a president is immune and can say almost anything he wants, is that a valid argument and how does that apply uh, to future presidents that somebody might, some of us might like? Uh, and do I want to do, how do I feel about that? How do I feel about turning the Justice Department loose on a former president of the United States? I'm not saying I agree with with the argument, but I want the argument to be in the film so that the viewer, in a right. coherent way, so the viewer can say, well, I don't, I don't feel this guy's thumb on the scale here. I right. feel like they're really trying to lay it out for me in a way that's useful. And, I and, try, and, and, try, and trying to, I gathered, Michael, from watching the documentary that you're trying to exist between these places in which there is a legal process, there is an indictment, there that evidence will be tested, the procedures will be tested and reviewed, and then there is a political conversation. Right. And there are those, I met them in Iowa, New Hampshire, who believe this should never be in the legal sphere at all. They want a political adjudication only. Yeah. And they say Trump's prominence ought to immunize him from the legal side, to which I say, wait a minute, that's never been our history. Political success doesn't immunize you from civil liability or criminal liability if you've actually done something wrong. And they say, no, no, he's the number one candidate, so he should be left alone. And that's the tension. And it struck me that you're trying to exist in between those two components. Yes, and it's, a, it's a, as you know, a very hard thing to do because it's hard to find people. It's hard to find credible people who aren't so afraid of Trump and what Trump can do because he's formidable in the clinches. He's formidable in primarying people, formidable in calling people names. Your status inside the Republican Party is in deep peril if you go against him. Uh, or, or more importantly, for a lot of people, they just stay away from the film entirely. But it is important to try to find somebody, and thank God we did, try to find somebody who says, but wait a minute, uh, is, is the, yes, the president should be able to have freedom of speech and freedom to articulate things out loud and freedom to not agree with his campaign team and listen to Rudy Giuliani instead. That's all okay. Um, but when it comes to something that's the, the, uh, the, the, the yelling fire in a crowded theater kind of moment, if and lying consistently, if that is what he does with that freedom, then you need somebody who's who who is also in the film to say yes, all those things are true. The guy should have the right to be kind of out on the edge, but he is an American citizen, mm -hmm. and none of us have the right to cry fire in a crowded theater. None of us right. have the right. We can lie on television. We can lie on podcasts. We can lie on whatever. But when it comes to something really important, like you're the president of the United States activating 70 million people, uh, can he lie? Can he lie when he tells people something, to, to act on something in a violent, implying that it, it fight for your country, fight for your right, otherwise your country's going to go away? Fight like hell. Yeah. language. That's the question. Right. At hand. Michael, I'm going to be uh, blatantly unfair to you, uh, and I'm going to ask you a question that is frequently asked of me. 
and you've been in this place talking to all these people, reviewing all this evidence to put together this documentary, if it is a close election in 2024, and there is reason to believe it very well could be, yeah. do you think we are facing another trauma like something we saw on January 6th? I, 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 the last time I flew, I left my uh, crystal ball in, yeah. <laughs> uh, in in the overhead, and I forgot to bring it. <laughs> Major, I know that's my way of dodging the question. Yes, that's a, that's that that is a very very adroit dodge. Well played, <laughs> sir. Well played. <laughs> but I'll tell you this much: I think it's. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think we are already being prepared by the former president for the idea that the election is going to be rigged. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, anybody who's watched this closely, including people in the in the January 6th committee, but also a lot of constitutional lawyers and other people we've talked to, they are very concerned about what happens uh, with this coming election. If, if Biden wins or if Biden loses, uh, if Trump wins a whole set of things are going to we can look at a, a kind of crystal ball and say what's what's going to follow and if he loses my god we've already seen what happened when he when he did when he lost once uh what will he do the next time and and with an activated and potentially violent uh group of people who support him not everybody but enough people that maybe it could be a dangerous time in america and that's what i'm worried about and that's why we Mm-hmm. We try to lay these films out. That's why we'll make two more before the election is over. Uh, uh, one, we, we do this series called The Choice, where we do the two presidential candidates. Right, right, right. We'll do that with these two, as we did, as we've done eight other times with eight other president presidential races. And we're going to do one about the vice president, since these guys are old enough that yep. it's going to be worth it to know who the vice presidents are. No so question. we'll be following it. You'll be following it. Yep. Journalism, to the extent that it still exists in America. It still exists. We'll be following it. And it's our job to say, watch out. It looks like the gun is loaded. Yep. Uh, either way. Either, either way. way. That is the voice of Michael Kirk, the director and creative force behind Democracy on Trial. Available January 30th on all PBS stations. Stay tuned for your takeout outtake especial. Welcome to your takeout outtake especial. Michael Kirk is our special guest, director, creative force behind Democracy on Trial, January 30th across all PBS stations. Uh, Michael, we have three questions we ask every guest on this show. Uh, take them in whichever order you prefer. Most influential book in your life and why? I know that's a bit of a hard one, so you can take a moment on that. Uh, one of your favorite movies or all-time favorite movies. And if you're going to, on a long flight or a long drive, really enjoy some music. What music, artist, or genre is that most likely to be? Um, the movie. The movie is Heat. Heat. Nice. Yes. That's the first. We're we're in our eighth year. Never before has Heat been mentioned. Heat. It's a great movie. It's a moral <laughs> it's, tale. It's everything. It's everything. It's everything. But excellent. I, there's a great line in there because Val Kilmer's having trouble with his wife and whatever, and uh, and. Uh, I think De Niro, somebody says, you never know what goes on between a man and a woman. You know, it may be wonderful at home or whatever it is. There's some reason people are drawn together. And I love the line. I think it's very wise. And I think the mm-hmm. movie amazing. And Excellent. I, I, I love the use of Los Angeles as a character. I just, for sure, and is amazing. So that's the, that's the movie. The book is a little bit of a, 
it's a it's a challenge because I read a lot and of course novels. I read a lot of novels. But I really I really if I had if you said you, you desert island, you only get right. one. Right. Uh, it's one it's it would be one of maybe Master of the Senate, uh, you know, one of the great books about Lyndon Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really, really Robert Caro is my right. My favorite. Well, there's, it's, a, it's a trilogy, so you could take all three. Okay, I'll take. It's sort of cheat on that. <laughs> I'll take. Him. I'll take him. He's my. He's absolutely my favorite. The story of him as a reporter that came out with, and he and Gottlieb. I just love. I love the guy, and I yeah. think uh, anybody who's a journalist who doesn't know and follow and love uh, uh, the guy's method. Right. And music. If you're a law, if you're lucky like me, and you're a long form journalist. Yeah. Oh my God, Carol. Yeah. Was the, Carol was the god. What was the third thing? Oh, music. music. Oh, I love, I love, I love almost. I my favorite, favorite, favorite album is Stan Getz and Astrid Gilberto and and, and uh, great, great bossa nova stuff out of the yes. 60s in Brazil. That is a fantastic, fantastic call. A great album. Stan Getz is one of my favorite jazz artists, and that album and that particular approach to bossa nova, super classic. Michael Kirk, it's been a great pleasure for me. All great success to you for Democracy on Trial and the other documentary projects you have going in the year 2024. We will keep in touch. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, man. Great to talk to you. Thank you. See you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Takeout ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.